Good day, my friends. In a second, we'll uh, get right over to the podcast, but I just wanted to take a moment to say that uh, during this discussion, Jason Miller and I um, both uh, talk about things and drop a little bit in and out of using uh, terms for roles within uh, traditions or abbreviations for magical groups and so on. I think it's uh, evident enough that you can roll through it, but I kind of wanted to say, hey, if you hear a word that you don't know what it is, just imagine, huh, it's a it's a role within the Tibetan uh, initiatory structure or magical structure, uh, or it's an organization to which these clowns belonged at some point, and they forgot to tell me the full name of it, okay? Uh, my apologies on this. I usually try and sort of backtrack and do these things, but I just got swept away in the conversation. And ultimately, I don't think that it interferes, uh, but I also want to acknowledge it so that people didn't feel like they ought to know something that uh, was just never really properly explained. And a few of them, I don't even know what they are. Um, off the top of my head, I'd have to go look them up again. Okay? installation in this podcast, we're going to explore the world of spirituality, what it means to be alive, and how is it that we can bring our spiritual selves, tarot, meditation, religious or spiritual practices into our daily lives. Please check out all of our episodes at thehermitslamp.com slash podcasts, or you can search The Hermit's Lamp in podcasts on iTunes Catch it on Stitcher Radio or other services along those lines on your smartphones or wherever you like. So Mercury Retrograde, it's a thing everybody gets worked up about. It rolls around three times a year, and the next one at the time of this recording is going to start uh, on or about August 30th. I've been working to help people refocus on this as an invitation to work magic on themselves and on their lives through working with daily prompts and some magical video transmissions and some other fun art things that I've been doing to create this program where for the duration of Mercury's Retrograde, you will get to dig in and revision, reboot, and reinvigorate your life. If you're interested, check it out at thehermitslamp.com slash mercury. So welcome to another installment of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I'm here this week with Jason Miller, who I know primarily through his work with magic and ritual. You know, I've been following Jason online for a while now, and the posts and approaches to working with spirits, to the necessity of meditation, and especially his experiences in sort of both Eastern and Western traditions, uh, really piqued my interest. So I thought I'd uh, invite him on the podcast here so we can chat about magic and what it is and how it works and how you can get into it. Uh, but in case people don't know who you are, Jason, why don't you give us a, a quick introduction here? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. And I have been uh, doing this stuff since I was 15. 
uh, with with the help of uh, some early teachers that I was lucky to get in touch with uh, in my little little town in the middle of New Jersey. But um, you know, God, that that's almost thirty years ago. So like twenty seven years, and um, I have uh, you know traveled around in pursuit of it. I lived in Nepal for a time to, to really get a grip on uh, Tibetan magic and, uh, you know, traveled down south to when I took a strong interest in hoodoo and, and uh, root work to, to flesh out some of what I learned when I was still a teenager. And uh, to me, it's, it's always about... Um, it's about the technology. It's about uh, it all fits together. It, it, it's it's magic itself is real, and I have never, uh, I guess, never felt the need to limit myself. I approach things as they approach me, come to me in my life, mm. and my life happens to be one where I've been exposed to a number of different traditions. So uh, just kind of naturally in the, in the progression of, of uh, things. And so it was about 10 years ago now that I started to take everything I knew and coalesce it together, bring it together and uh, create a cohesive teaching out of it that, um, said some things that I don't think were being said or were at least not being made clear, or mm-hmm. at least that I thought maybe I could make clearer. Sure. Um, so Strategic Sorcery was born. And, you know, now we're four books later working on a fifth and courses and all that kind of jazz. Uh, and this is my career. Mm-hmm. So for you... It's the. It's more about the. It's. It seems like it's very much like a syncretist kind of piece, right? At least, or at least what I sort of see outside. You know, you grab some technique from here, you grab an approach from there, and you kind of marry that that idea together. Is that is that correct, or is that mislabeling it for you? Well, see, it is correct, but I I like to say I get dragged into doing that. In, <laughs> I'm an eclecticist who doesn't like most eclecticists. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> and and I say that because um, you don't have, in this life, you only have so much time. Yes. And most people that call themselves eclectic or syncretic, they bounce from one thing to another at the rate of whatever book they're reading. Mm-hmm. So one week they're reading about Santeria and they're all of a sudden all about Orishas. And then the next week they're reading about uh, Peruvian shamanism and they're all about the saints and, and in used in Peru. And, and yeah. um, there's no depth there. So, you know, I mean, I spent uh, many, many years uh, training in root work, many, many years and, and uh, a lot of expense training in, in Tantra and many, many years in, in Western esotericism. Um, those being sort of the three streams that, that feed into, uh, what I do. And so, yes, it's syncretic because the world we live in is syncretic. I, I, I think that, um, 
the world, the, the quality of the age we live in, the, the gift of the age we live in is access to so many different people and ideas. Um, it would be foolish to think that, you know, the great luminaries of older traditions wouldn't have been thrilled at this, <laughs> mm. you know, uh, and, and taken advantage of this. And of course, synchronism has always happened. But there are a lot of people that just sort of throw whatever together in a mishmash. And that's something I, I try to avoid and I try to um, speak out against. Sort of, you know, there's a difference between smart syncretism and, and respectful cultural interface versus uh, blatant appropriation and just sort of wild nuttiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and it's interesting for me because I sort of went a different route, right? I I was, um, I mean, I was pursuing depth and I was definitely, you know, I mean, I spent 15 years, you know, doing Western mystery traditions as my primary thing and studying Crowley and doing all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, got into chaos magic and got into sort of the ideas of like integrating different technologies and so on. And then I met the Orishas and once I got initiated in that tradition, they basically came down and said, pick one thing and do it. And that's it. And I was like, all right, well, you guys are the thing I'm doing. Like that's my, that's my road. So for me, it's, it's interesting because that uh, syncretism can work, did work you know, obviously works for you. And yet for me, I got to this point where for a variety of reasons, they were like, you're, you're not going to get where you need to go if you keep doing that. So stop. And I think that, you know, that, that is the, the challenge, you know, and I think that the, the other piece that I think that is really important that I hear in your story is you worked with teachers. And I think that that makes a big difference, you know, huge. Uh, huge. And I, I can say that there were there were times in my life when I did stop everything and focused on just the one thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in 1996, I started getting involved in Tibetan Buddhism and uh, reconnected with an early teacher of mine that I knew when I was a teenager, John Reynolds, who goes by Lama Vajranatha. He was the first Westerner to be ordained as a Nakba, a tantric shaman. Um, and I spent the next five years doing nothing but that. Other than, you know, I would, I was still in the OTO and I would participate socially, you know, in rituals and, and things like that. But as far as my own practice, everything got put away, everything got set aside, because here's something that um, is of a different culture than the one I was raised in, mm -hmm. is, you know, had its own base path and fruit that needed to be approached uh, on its own rather than me looking at it through the lens of, of 777 or something. Like that. <laughs> well, add uh, another extra column and be like, oh, there we go. Right. You know, it, it's it, which which. You know, 777 can be like one of the most dangerous texts when you're when you're approaching the world through it. Mm -hmm. And for people who might not know, 
777 is a book uh, published by Crowley, made up, uh, as my understanding, of a lot of sort of Golden Dawn stuff that Crowley uh, embellished a bit and, and reformatted. And it's essentially a set of correspondences between all of the systems in the world that he knew about and the tree of life and the sort of Western mystery traditions. So you can go down and be like, huh, I'm feeling Egyptian today. Where, where is, uh, where, what's in Tifereth? Be like, oh, raw, okay, or, you know, or whatever, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and just really um, everything from, from silliness to actual dangerous situations can, can arise when you're approaching things through that way. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I def, in fact, a, a friend of mine uh, that I knew from Nepal had come up to me and he said, you know, you, you had a personal teacher um, that, that and, and, you know, you had all these connections with these different lamas. I thought you were going to be, uh, you know, a translator and a lama yourself one day. And, and why did you uh, expand outward again? Why did you come back? And, and, you know, I there there are two reasons. One is that uh, at a certain point, I started to see the essential techniques that were applicable everywhere, and that there's sort of a, a meta. I hate that word because it gets overused in magic, but um, you know, sort of a, a meta magic that that runs a quintessence of it, rather that that just runs underneath everything, like mm-hmm. a, a primordial reality that that everything uh, is an expression of. And then the other thing is, is that sometimes traditions become so Byzantine and ossified and complex and 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 whatnot, and uh, Tibet in particular, because it was a theocracy, it, it's like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Parkinson's law, the idea is that tasks fill up to take the time, you know, sure. tasks expand to fill the time. Well, you know, when you're talking about um, a professional class or a theocratic class that has to have like large scale uh, rituals to justify itself, then, then you know, the tradition of... Uh, wandering yogis suddenly becomes the tradition of high church nonsense that costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to accomplish. So there's a certain extent to where I feel like the, the, you know, some of the spirits of the tradition are like, you know, we'd like to break out of this now. Mm. (laughs) Um, And, and I see that happening a little bit, um, you know, a little bit uh, across the world. I, I don't appreciate it when people declare themselves to be Hungan or Santos or, or, or anything else when they don't go through the teachers and the initiations. It drives me crazy. That's that's cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do see um, some people both inside and outside different cultures uh, working with things that that give new life and freedom to the spirits that they're working with. Yeah, and I think that that's always um, a delicate 
a delicate point, right? It's you know, a very delicate. Point. Both both as an individual attempting to do that, it requires a lot of um, humility and uh, caution and respect. And as a you know, and then sort of when it comes to the to tradition, you know, it's one of those things. It's very complicated, you know, and as you know, I mean, I, I, I practice a traditional African religion, right, or Afro-Cuban religion. And, you know, the, there are these conversations where tradition says one thing, people who have other approaches say something different. And there's a space for those people who are doing other things to kind of come and find out, you know, I mean, we, we do lots of divination, you know, yeah. and the amount of times that people have sort of come and had divination done and been doing something sort of um, syncretic or exploratory or whatever and not been told, just stop what you're doing and come here, or sometimes even received the ire of the spirits, that's the majority of the time. Yeah. But it's not all the time. And I don't think there's any real clear way to sort of no, especially in the absence of a teacher, what whether you're on that side of the line or not, you know, and that that is the the value of elders and the value of um, things like lineage as well. You know, once you're brought magically brought into a lineage, your access to that spiritual energy changes, and that's a whole different matter as well. That's true, and and you know, every lineage has its protectors, and. I think one thing that people don't necessarily grasp is that the protectors, yes, they're there to protect you personally from difficulty and danger and strife, but primarily they're there to protect the lineage, mm -hmm. which can mean protecting it from you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you do, you know, my advice for people is always um, be smart, be respectful know what you're talking about. Don't just read a book and, and think you know what's going on. Spend, spend time appropriate to it. And if you really feel led to do something different, then make sure everyone knows you're doing something different. Yes. Don't present it as tradition. Don't, um, don't do it to make yourself puffed up or, or to, you know, which is why, um, once I started doing something different than, than straight Tibetan Buddhism, uh, there are very, very few pictures of me wearing my Nakba getup because mm -hmm. I, unless I'm doing something very traditional where essentially it's required or where I've promised to wear it, I don't wear it because mm -hmm. it's, it's, if I'm doing something different, I don't want to give the impression that this is now tradition. If I, even if it's uh, working with curricula or something like that, if I'm doing it in a non-traditional way, um, I don't want people to get the mistaken idea that it is the traditional one. Yeah, and, I, and that I think is the biggest issue that people come across with with uh, this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to some um, some other Orisha people the other day, and we were discussing how one of the things that happens very easily is if you're in the Orisha tradition, 
you know, any, any of them doesn't really matter. But like, say your godparent is also uh, spiritists and maybe, you know, does some other things. That capacity to differentiate between which part is which, you know, there's no, there, it's not always obvious because everything flows back and forth between those things. And people might need all of those pieces, but then they start to get mistaken for being the tradition. When in fact, there are three threads that weave right. together in that place, right? Well, in a, in a real sense, every, in a real sense, every person holds their own tradition, whether they, whether they want to or not. Yeah. Um, you know, I have met Tibetan tulkus and they do things, you know, one, for instance, is a galupa, but is very deeply involved in Vajrakalaya practice, which he learned from a Nyingmapa teacher. And some of the other galupas look on him and say, oh, well, you know, he gave back his monk's robes and he practices Purba and, you know, he's not a very good galupa anymore. Well, he was the attendant to the Dalai Lama for a long time. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, my first exposure uh, to people from ATRs, uh, African traditional religions, um, was them showing up to Western occult things in in New York and New Jersey. So mm -hmm. they're they're you know, there's always this interest in what's going on. Yeah. And I, I think in this day and age, you would have to be deliberately like, la la la, I don't see or hear what's going on anywhere else. Because we're all we're all on top of each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean the internet and jet travel and, and everything else makes, I think of the second century Mediterranean when, when things were just coming together to create the papyri and, and, and whatnot, which are just such a magnificent mixture of, of everything going on at that period of time. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually, I wind up being eclectic and syncretic, but I try not to be as much as possible. Yeah. Well, and I think depending on which um, which pockets of Western esotericism you're in, there's something about the currents or the energies or what have you that lends itself to a flow over into into African ATR, you know, practices or Risha practices, you know, and especially Crowley stuff and Thelema and OTO, you know, the amount of people that I know from those traditions who branched out into candomblé or umbanda or you know the things i do or you know other things it's 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 like there's a there, there's not just like a loose connection there's a you know some serious crossroads where you get to these places and you'd be like oh i see what's going on over there and it feels very much like what's going on over here and and now you know and then people start to explore that you know for good or bad in some cases right and and you know this is where i uh one of one of the points of of strategic sorcery is um to work on work on appropriating or borrowing or or stealing or however you want to call it uh but work on appropriating tech and not symbol set mm. so for instance here, here's an example um and and this is you know this is 
there are many real life examples of this. So somebody interest who has some background in either, uh, you know, Golden Dawn, Thalema slash Wicca um, gets to interface a little bit with, uh, let's say, Lukumi, right? Mm -hmm. And they, in my, like, the idea of appropriating tech would be for that person to go, well, you know, look at the way that the Lukumi make offerings, whereas offerings aren't really that present over here. I wonder what would happen if we contacted these spirits and asked what kind of offerings they wanted and started approaching them this way. And what would happen if we took some of this spell work that we do that's all like astral and commands and stuff and brought it down into some physical materia a la, you know, powders and oils and, and, and root work mm -hmm. type stuff. Um, it, it might add that necessary link in the chain. It might strengthen something that, that we've been sort of weak at thus far. And so that's been wonderful. It's been a huge boon to the grimoire tradition um, that, you know, people are kind of hip to making offerings and, and getting to know spirits this way. Um, on the other hand, you have people that are like, well, I don't really want to know the tech of what they do. I just like those spirits and those symbols. Yeah. So they start, they take the Orishas and they're basically like, I'm going to take my lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram, but instead of the archangels, let's force the Orishas in there. Mm -hmm. And so you get Oya in the North and Yemaya in the West and disaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what I mean by, you know, I, I focus mostly on uh, things like making offerings uh, in, in Tibetan terms, the four classes of guests and uh, using emptiness as a, as a pivot point or fulcrum for magic to rest on and, and things like this. No one can own these things. No one owns making offerings. No one owns sure. uh, visualizing a field of, of enlightened beings. No, nobody but owns. Say they do own, you know, the tradition does hold, you know, is to just borrow this spirit is a lot different than being inspired to make offerings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's no um, there's no ownership on ecstatic tradition. You can dance, you can drum, you can whatever, right? You can dance if you want to. <laughs> you can. If your friends don't dance, well, uh, they're not invited to my ritual. Um, yeah, you know, and we, we used to do uh, these bacchanals where everybody would, you know, wear masks and carry thyrsus and we would go out to the top of this hill and drum and sing and chant and do ceremonies and, and call that energy down. And that bears that technological similarity to other things, right. but we were not up there on the hilltop, um, you know, uh, shaking our shaking our rattles and calling the four directions based on you know Aboriginal some Aboriginal tradition and you know doing this and doing that. We were completely doing our own things, and in that way, it is it is not the it's not where it's problematic, right? Because those technologies, as you say, are universal, right? Like 
whatever whatever you're looking at, probably somewhere else in the world, they also do something like that as well, right? I I have yet to meet anyone um, that in in this day and age that is not both. In, well, I've met many people that are just not involved in in. Uh, older traditions or not, but I have met very few people that are initiated into uh, a living tradition Mm -hmm. who are not also enjoying freedom of expression through the more wild occult side of things. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, So... Yeah, I shouldn't say I haven't met anyone. I have. I, I you know, I've met people that that uh, within those cultures. But when people, you know, it's it's sort of uh, you have the opportunity in this day and age to both interact with a tradition in a very traditional way, yet also have freedom to create, which is its own sort of energy to it. Mm-hmm. You know, that that. Uh, old traditions can kind of stomp out <laughs> to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's always a question of <clears throat> how do these uh, traditions grow and evolve, right? Or do they? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and certainly within the Orisha traditions, um, you know, we're sort of seeing this. And, you know, with my elders, there are lots of conversations about where, you know, as this tradition emerges, you know, because really, especially, especially now that Cuba is not off limits for the, for Americans and, you know, because of the media, because of what's been going on, because, because there are lots of people looking for something that, um, deeper or more traditional or, you know, more grounded or more magical or more, you know, whatever, right? Like there's a variety of inroads to it, but there are people looking and finding these traditions and so they're spreading really fast, you know, yeah, they are. and, and these Orisha traditions are really on the grow, especially in America, but I think everywhere. And how do you sustain tradition in relationship to that? And what, what does that mean? And what, what growth or changes might be necessary? You know, it's tough. And, and especially with, um, with Westerners, getting involved at the rapid rate that they do, because there are unfortunately a lot of people who don't want to take the medicine. They just want to be doctors. <laughs> yes. So, you know, in, in the 1990s and the early 2000s, there was a rush of people to Haiti uh, getting, uh, getting, you know, initiated as Hungan, as Sogways and Mambos and so on, you know, the highest level initiation and coming back to the States and knowing nothing. Yeah. Like knowing nothing, no songs. I mean, I remember, um, I forget what, what it was just singing, uh, one of the songs to Legba from that uh, one of the CDs, you know, but I knew all the words. And, and you know, this guy that was a, a, a Hungan and went to Haiti and he's like, you know, how did you learn all the words to that? 
mm-hmm. like it's the liner notes of the CD. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and so you have this kind of rush where unfortunately there are people who are willing to sell it um, both inside the culture and out um, who then sell it to people whose primary interest is then selling it to people. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like coaching, right? Right. Enroll in my coaching program, and uh, you will get to coach more people on coaching. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's something that I've tried to avoid um, in my own practice. I I don't like uh, you know people have suggested that I reformulate my community and courses as like magical orders and certify teachers and things like that. And I said, I'm not interested in any of that. Like I'm not interested in certifying teachers. A lot of people that will take my course will go on to teach, but they won't be teaching my course that they'll hopefully be influenced by it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully positively. But, um, I, I, I'm not into the whole, you know, teach people how to teach people, when there's very little actual teaching going on. Totally. Yeah. And I, it, I have a friend in California who is, um, you know, a very, very, uh, you know, he's, he's a Palero and he's uh, really solid and he's got the same criticism. He's like, you know, there's people out there running around uh, just getting their prendas and they don't know anything. They're, yeah. they're paying, you know, nine to $20,000 for a title and they know nothing. Yeah, I'd rather people not have a title and know something. Yeah. Well, and I think that one of the pieces that people um, there there are two pieces about coming towards the Orisha traditions, and and I think that it's uh, it's also true in Palo and other other sort of different religions along these lines. Is um, first of all, generally speaking, you don't really get a lot of choice. It's not a it's not a tradition where you're like, hey, I want to be the drummer, or I want to be this, or I want to be that, and you arrive and you just do it. It's a matter of the spirits know what you are capable of and know right. what is a part of your destiny and your path, and they tell you. And living with that and working with that is hard because it checks your ego a lot, right? And the more you do that though, and the more that I see other people do that, the more they grow and evolve and the better their life becomes. But it's difficult because people arrive and they want to just do whatever they think they should do. And then secondly, a lot of the things that come with, um, with a title, you know, like being an oriate, which is, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, basically oversees all the ceremonies in my tradition and lineage. Um, the way in which one does that is one studies with an oriete or a number of orietes for many years, and then you go and work in initiation, and a bunch of people from the community and the orietes come and watch and decide whether you're ready or not. That's it. You can't buy it. You can't. It can't exist outside of recognition by the community, and it can't be acquired through other means, despite the fact that some people say there's a ceremony to give it to you, right? I, you sound like you are involved in a very solid and amazing community. I wish all the ones that I came into contact with were like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly, right? That's, that um, is how it ought to be, right? Right. The, I, sadly, it's not the case. Totally. And, and, you know, unfortunately, but you pointed out, you know, on the other side, on the wild eclectic side, um, you all the time I run into people and they're like, well, this is the tradition, but I don't like this. So I'm going to reject that. Yeah. And people are very quick to reject anything that doesn't mirror what they already believe and feel rather than use a tradition or a path to grow and, mm-hmm. and, and use it as a tool for self-development. Yeah. Um, and, and this is true not only of, of, you know, uh, magical traditions, but, you know, I mean, I mean, not the Catholic, but it's true of Catholicism. It's true of, not that that's not a magical tradition, but, um, you know, it's true of most people's religion of birth. Like, it, you know, no one necessarily believes every last piece of dogma, but it's something to grow through and test yourself by and learn from. Mm-hmm. And often it's in the doing that you learn what it's really all about. Not, I agree with this. I don't agree with that. I like this. I don't like that. Yeah. And it's, it's in staying in relationship to it where you can see um, what might be cultural or historical influences that are not required or in part, but that require, again, that requires a lot of caution and, you know, relating right you know i mean because if you're if you're going to come into you know like like one of the things that's always you know it, it was my separating of ways with the with my time with the oto was around the gnostic mass and the you know the emphasis on on specific gender and and all those kinds of things and what i basically decided for myself at the end of that was this they, they celebrate one mystery which is a limited mystery in my opinion Right. And I think that there are many other options, and I can't I can't make them change. I don't think it's maybe even appropriate for me to try and make them change. Um, but I think that it is. Uh, but it is certainly something that that became clear it was not for me. Right. You know, and and that's also very different than being like I'm just going to insist. You know, I mean, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of great people in that tradition about it, and. And, and finally, I, you know, finally I realized, I'm like, oh, I see what the mistake is here. The mistake is, this is not the place for me. Not, I, not I, I need to change that. Same thing with the OTO. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still endorse the OTO for people that are interested in it. I, yeah. I, you know, I think it can be a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a great network of people, um, you know, at least one third of which are sane. Uh-huh. And <laughs> you know, it's 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 not a bad number. I mean, it's better than you might find on the you know walking down the street and talking to people about magic. So exactly. So uh, yeah, no, I have a uh, I have a, a good experience in the OTO, many lifetime connections, but in the end, decided it wasn't for me. And uh, but I but like I think everybody else in the OTO, they I went through periods where I'm like, I want them to change this and that, and you know, yeah. And and finally, I you know I got to a point where I was like, you know, I don't care if they change or not. It's just not for me. And I I sent a resignation letter that was basically like a copy of a 
no no blistering burning you know you're doing it just like copied a corporate resignation letter and uh-huh. you know thanks so much for all the good times but um best that we part ways and and uh you know i mean i still uh support them and and uh you know encourage people that are interested in it to to delve into it and um you know if they're if they're losing interest or they're spiraling out, I said, well, you know, if you want to change it from within, change it from within. But at the point that you really don't give a crap anymore, then <laughs> you know, then go. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, well, and I think, and then to sort of you know step over into the certification thing, you know, I mean, I, I don't think there's certifications possible in the kinds of things that we do. You know? I, I completely agree. You know, I, I have um, I have a good friend who's a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and you know, we 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 hang out and uh, you know, tinker with each other's brains and stuff like that. It's it's a wonderful thing. We just get together and exchange time and like, you know, bring up an issue and 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 sort of try and help each other move through it or see it differently or see our patterns. You know, it's it's a great situation, right. and. Uh, and I'm always having these, these, you know, less so now, but for a period of time, I was like having these conversations with him about it. And he's like, you'd have this book and I'd be like, oh, the title looks really interesting. He goes, I'm like, is that worth me reading? And he'd be like, no, the title says it all. The rest of it is just academic proof of the title. You know, you you already know, like we could talk about it for a minute. And you'd already know what's in the book or, you know, whatever. And that certification that he went through provides something very specific, but within what we do, it's uh, it's really dubious, you know, even even, you know, in my work as a card reader, you know, and, and as a, a tarot reader and in the tarot communities, I'm just like, you know, what what certification would anybody ever bestow upon me or would I get or how would I get it or how would I you know give it or any of those kinds of things? I'm always like, I don't I don't even understand what that would mean and why, like what you would get from it. Because from my point of view, I'm like, how about you pursue doing what you do until you're confident in what you're doing and know that it is successful whenever you want it to happen? And then what do you need after that? That's the end of the conversation, at least for me. My my attitude is always, you know, your success will be your calling card. Like, you know, if you're good at it, people will notice people will other than you will spread the word. Yeah. Um, you know, being a successful sorcerer, being a successful card reader, um, it, it's it's like Eleanor Roosevelt said about being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, chances are you're not. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I feel the same way about certifications. I mean, I I have various initiations and certifications and things like that, but. There are people that have those that can do the stuff, and there are people that have those that can't do the stuff. And sure. there are people that don't have those that can do the stuff. Yeah. So, you know, what what does it really indicate? Mm-hmm. Um, especially in, in our very subtle uh, line of work. So Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's like psychology, right? There are lots of psychologists who are fantastic and there are some who are largely ineffectual you know and some of the things that i've heard from people 
about psychologists that they've seen. I'm like, wow, how is that person even allowed to have a business doing that in something that's regulated or theoretically regulated anyway? So, yeah, yeah definitely. So I guess one of the other questions that uh, that I always like to talk about with people who are um, magical people and, you know, sort of doing, you know, because it goes beyond just sort of like, hey, I'm going to evolve as a human being. You know, your your work like parts of my work are also about how about I make this change in the world to make my life better or to make someone else's life better or what have you. Um, how do you approach that? Like what are, what are the things that you think are helpful there? Where are the, where are the pitfalls, you know, do, do morals and ethics come into it for you? You know, like these are the kind of questions I have. Wow. That's, that's a few questions. Um, <laughs> so working, working backwards, um, yes. Morals and ethics do come into it for me. Um, there are there are practitioners out there who, especially when it comes to clients, they, you know, for myself, morally and ethically, I treat each situation individually. So mm -hmm. I don't really have any across the board. This is wrong, and it's always wrong, no matter what the situation. I have seen situations where healing is the damaging thing and, and, you know, cursing is the just thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and compassionate thing, I might add. Right. Um, and, and cause you can't really have, you know, a lot of people talk about compassion just in terms of peace and calm and maintaining peace and calm and peace and calm are great as long as justice is being served, but justice isn't always served by peace and calm. Sure. Um, so there's, uh, you know, there's that wrathful compassion that has to come into play when doing work for clients. There's a lot that I don't take. I don't, I turn down 90% of 95% of love magic requests I get because I don't work on targets for clients. Mm. Yeah. No, no returning ex loves, no getting this person to love me that I've been obsessed with forever. Um, I, it, it feels yucky to me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, I just, somebody, yeah. somebody once put it to me. He's like, well, if you, if you can't keep them without this, why do you think it's going to be good with this? Right? Like right. it's right. just gonna, it's going to add something to the situation, but it's still going to be wonky and weird. Right. And, and I get that it's traditional, and I get that in in some traditional societies it has the added element where, uh, you know, like a wife's entire financial well-being would rest upon her husband. And, if, you know, he decides to up and leave for a younger chickie after she's had three kids, then she's left in the lurch, as are the children. So there, there's there's sort of all these added elements to it traditionally. Most of the scenarios I get asked to intervene in don't involve that. Totally. So um, for me, it's mostly people that are, I, I've said before that they're all the, um, you know, don't be the diaper wearing astronaut. If you remember the, the astronaut um, that was caught driving from uh, Florida to go hunt down the guy she was obsessed with and she was wearing a diaper because she didn't want to stop because she was so like, don't be the diaper wearing astronaut. Just yeah. let it go. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I 
turned down most love magic. I turned down all, you know, sort of cursed jinx kind of magic. If it's for a client that I don't know and I know the situation, I I understand that other people view themselves as advocating for their client. So just like a lawyer, like a mm-hmm. defense lawyer, whether he did it or didn't do it is irrelevant. Whether it's just or not is irrelevant. They're advocating for their client that hired them. I can't work that way. My spirits don't let me work that way. I respect other people that do. Um, so yeah, the ethics come into it, but there's no like hard and fast rules across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, influencing magic, it's a sliding scale. Like, you know, a little bit of influence on a situation, just fine, because it's not fundamentally different than any other kind of influence. And we're all influencing everyone all the time, whether we try to or not. Totally. Um, But then there's a level of influencing magic where really, you know, you're not ringing somebody's doorbell. You're pulling up the floorboards and tinkering with the wiring of the house. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so then I get kind of like, well, this is really over the top. Um, You know, now as for pitfalls, I, I am known for hammering people on not on the mundane end of things. Um, so there's a lot of people that, that, you know, they come to me and they're like, you know, well, I've summoned Ostroth and I've called upon <laughs> Jupiter and I've called upon St. Cyprian and I've called and I'm still broke, man. And it's like, well, you know, tell me a little, let me see your resume. And so I started to add like clients that were looking for jobs before I take any money, I, I would ask to see their resume and just say, this will give me a good idea of what it is you're looking for and who you are. But when I get a resume that's like completely ridiculous, uh-huh. I just send it back and I'm like, there's no magic that can like you need to fix this first. Yeah, because handwritten cause magic- on a napkin doesn't get you a job. Right. Well, you know, I mean, some, sometimes it's like crazy stuff. Like, and not, and people think maybe I'm talking about like, um, you know, the uneducated. But you know, I mean, I've gotten people with master's degrees who hide their master degree below, like, in the education portion of their resume. It's like, well, I'm two thirds of the way done with my Reiki three certification, and I took a you know, like a life coaching seminar with blah, blah, blah. And oh, by the way, I have a master's degree in forensic science. Yeah. Yeah. Lead with that. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I magic is an influence on any given situation. It influences minds and it influences probable events. If you've, if the events that it's trying to influence are not set up to give you the kind of success you want, it's not going to give you the kind of success you want. It's gonna, it's not that it's not gonna work, it's gonna produce lackluster results. You're gonna summon, you're gonna do all the work to do a goetic working, and Boone is gonna make you win 500 bucks in the lottery. Free ticket. So you can go and say, this works. Like I summoned Boone and Boone made me win 500 bucks in the lottery. 
you know, this happened and that happened. I'm convinced magic is real. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Is the 500 bucks really going to make a big impact in your life? Not really. You know, a month later, yeah. your life is not really good. You, you ate it a couple times. You bought a 2-4 and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you got a new laptop or something there. Right. Yeah. At Best so, Buy on sale. <laughs> yeah. So I I am a big uh, – I, I am big into pushing people, uh, doing the mundane work, and not, not just following it up, but integrating it together. Yeah. So to bring it – you know, do one big spell over the whole thing. Like, you know, let's say we want to get a job. Sticking with that example. Do one big – Big ritual to get a job, but then, you know, enchant the resume, enchant the cover letter, do some magic when you get the interview, do some magic when you're networking, you know, use, use Mercury. Yeah. And, uh, well, and I think that that's a, the difference between um, looking at it as, you know, I mean, it kind of like a, a number of topics. I'm, I'm going to go purchase this thing and it's going to change my life. Versus I'm going to go and live a magical life or I'm going to go move into living the life that I want, you know? I mean, yeah. magic magic for me is uh, not quite a continuous thing, you know, because I'm not always 100% focused on that. But it is it is something that gets tuned into and checked in throughout the day. And especially when I'm, you know, I come to the shop. I have my ceremonies, I have my checking, I have all these things that I'm always floating in and out of. And even my days start with getting up and greeting the Orishas, which involves thinking about where I'm at and what I'm doing and how I'm doing and what am I doing or not doing, what might I need or what might they need. And, you know, it's this continuous awareness that is where the real power comes from, right? That's the other key is a regular practice that... For, on my end, I, I push meditation pretty hard. So, yeah. you know, that involves meditation, keeping up with spiritual allies, you know, uh, which is not fundamentally different than hum- keeping up with human allies. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. If you if you've got a friend, you got to go out to lunch once in a while. Don't, uh, don't be the friend where you you only call them when you got to move, right? Hey, you uh, is your van free? Could you come and help me move? I got to move again. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, um, so yeah, you know, uh, to to keep these things going and and some energetic work and and whatnot that I that I strongly recommend. Um, but. You know, this regular practice gets going and the passive magic starts to happen. So for people uh, that are, I hate to call senior students or, or say, you know, make it seem like everyone who's gone through my course, because it's certainly not everyone. Some people go through the course and don't do a damn thing other than read the lessons. But one common, com- not complaint, but thing that I get is like, okay, well, all the problems I had at the beginning are fixed. <laughs> like, what do I do now? And, and lately I've, you know, people will tell me, well, you know, I developed this intention to do magic for something. And then suddenly it all gets sorted out. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, well, that's because you've got spiritual connections through these offerings and meditation and, and all the work that you're doing. Spirits, your allies, the universe itself responds a certain way. Uh, 
here's a funny story. If if anyone was on my Facebook yesterday, they saw pictures for me basically getting lost in, in a big park in Vermont and not, you know, I went up the wrong mountain. <laughs> Oops. And then came down and went up the mountain I meant to go down because I was trying to find this particular trail to this spot. Um, so it was like six hours of walking, but, uh, I was, I, at a certain point I was lost and I was like, you know, it, I, the, the signage here is not very good. I, you know, I need some help and not 20 minutes after asking that on the trail, just sitting on the trail, somebody had dropped their map of the park mm-hmm. with all the trails marked. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is, you know, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, when you're actively engaged in a regular practice where, where it's not bartering this for that, this for that, but you're doing a regular practice because you love your spirits and you uh, like your practice and you see the benefits it gives you by doing it all the time then, you know, these, these are the kinds of things that can happen. Yeah. And it also greases the wheels of some other things you're trying to do. So, for instance, if you're always doing a purification practice several times a week or even daily, then, you know, to summon a spirit, you do, maybe don't need to do a week of purification practices because you're already doing purification. You know what I mean? If you're mm-hmm. living that, life then you don't need to say okay let me block out this and be magical for a few days yeah and and i like your story because on the one hand you you reached out to the other side and on the other hand you're just out living your life you know and that you know because that's the other thing like where people are just trying to live it all the time and it's like it it doesn't make sense, right? You know, you you need to you need to live in the world, and you you ought to go out and enjoy ice cream with a friend, or you know, or whatever it is, right? And yeah, and be be here and be living and have those have those relationships and do work that supports living, as opposed to sort of living to do the the magic, as it were, and then so that you can do more magic, so that you can what you know like discarnate and become an ascended master like i i don't know that that sounds like a lot of fun to me you know so. no and, and i mean certainly this is one of the areas where um tibetan buddhism and i maybe part you know tibetan buddhism um would strongly advocate basically leaving everything behind and just doing this you right. know you're you're in a house that's on fire um, this life is meaningless and is going to pass away like sand from a mandala that's thrown into the river. Only Dharma practice will serve you after, you know, you're, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't buy into that and, and I never have. So I'm a bad Buddhist in that respect. Um, I, I have in, that is one of the areas that I you know, sort of re-engaged Christian heritage on. And although even there, you know, Jesus would have you leave your family and all that. But um, 
uh, that's where I'm very much about being in the world and and not of it and and uh, enjoying it and seeking uh, sukha rather than dukkha, it, it, enjoyment rather than focusing on the suffering um, aspect of it. And yeah, you you gotta you gotta go about and live your life. You know, in this case, uh, you know the the only magic magic I did was make a few very simple offerings to the spirits in the park when I got there, not when I was lost, but, you know, I, I got there and basically, you know, rubbed my hands together to offer the heat from my, from my hands. And I, I have a habit of, uh, whenever I'm in a forest, I, I, I'm a tree hugger, but I don't, I don't hug one tree. I touch two trees. Mm -hmm. Um, the idea being that forests are networks. There, there's no such thing as an individual right. plant in a forest. And so it's, it's, I feel it, and maybe I'm just a wackadoodle, but, um, you know, it's, it's, I feel almost like a circuit bridge, you know, like if you touch one, nothing happens. You've got to put the other end in. Uh, so you touch two trees with, with, two hands and now you've sort of integrated into that network a little bit. Um, and so make this offering of warmth and, and uh, you know, I'm again, Tibetan Buddhist trained. So there's lots of visualized offerings and, and, mm -hmm. and clouds of whatever you find enjoyment and, and whatnot. Um, but, you know, no incense or anything like that. And, and uh, you know, no throwing money around because it's a forest and, you know, the fairies may like coins, but it's also litter. Um, <laughs> totally. totally. So, uh, you know, I mean, just whenever I go to a new place, I make a little impromptu offering, and, and I just find I get treated a little bit better. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. Whenever I go into the woods, especially like the real woods, you know, I mean, like, I live, I live in downtown Toronto, right? So there's not a lot of real woods here, but, you know. But especially when I'm sort of going out into the deeper woods or, or the more sort of isolated corners of of the city and stuff, you know, I always I always uh, I often give something to Osain, who's the the spirit of herbs and plants and sort of lives in the depths of the woods. And, um, you know, and if I don't have anything with me, then I'll sing to him a bit or one of those kinds of things. And I'm just, you know, and and always, you know, things happen. Right. Like I, I went into this spot where I like to go. And um, in, in the city and, you know, as I'm walking down the stairs into this ravine, you know, I'm doing my little, hey, da, 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 you know, check it in here. I'm coming in to go and sort of just, you know, not not come with any particular intention, but just come to check in and be together for a bit. And the path that I like to go down, um, there was some guy sitting, standing in the middle of the path drinking, you know, because it's also Toronto, right? These things happen. And. You know, I, I wasn't concerned about anything, but I was like, oh, I'm not going to, like, try and squeeze past this guy because it's a narrow path. Um, and as soon as I walked and I looked at him and I nodded and he nodded and then I kind of turned and then he's, he, he just yelled out to me, hey, if you'd rather go this way, I can go be somewhere else. No problem. <laughs> you know, and, and I see that as very much that kind of, like, direct energy, you know, like it's it's those kinds of things that are um, – the signs, the subtle signs yeah. that you're doing the right things and that stuff is moving and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So, you know, my big advice for people with practical magic is um, have a regular practice that has nothing to do with whatever spell you're trying to do. Nice. But that, that, that you upkeep because that's what you do. Um, and, you know, it could be, it could incorporate all the elements that I like to, or it could be praying the daily office or, or whatever it is. Um, but have that regular practice that just stands on its own and then, you know, mind the material world because, uh, you know, people's, people can do crazy levels of magic and then work against that result in God knows how many ways. Uh, we talked about money, but, you know, think about love and, and, you know, guys that have come to me and just been like, you know, well, you know, I keep doing these love spells and, you know, I meet a girl and we go out on a date and she doesn't never want to see me again. It's like, well, you know, that's because you look like an unmade bed and you're an ass. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, you, 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 you don't treat people well and, you know, there's no magic that's going to overcome that. You have to, you have to change that about yourself. And, and you, you know, you can't go out looking like that. It's just the way it is. Not that I'm one to talk, but, uh, I'm, I'm not exactly, uh, you know, a supermodel over here, but, uh, you know, you, you gotta take care of yourself a little bit and, and, uh, present yourself how you would want uh, somebody to see you. Yeah. And then the magic can help. Exactly. Then the magic can, can give you that edge. Uh, but when people are trying to do magic for something and then working against it, even, even making the, you know, the magic itself works against it. I, I've met people that will do influencing magic or NLP or something and, and, or, and either they're, maybe they're wearing oils that smell like overpowering and like, dude, I don't know what kind of magic you thought the oil was going to do, but it's just like turning me off right now. It's all the magic, right? All the magic right. comes from the oil. Therefore more yeah. is better. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, or, you know, people will, will do like the weird, like I'm trying to influence you and they get really intent and it's like, you're creeping me out is what you're doing. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. So one last question before we wrap it up, because I agree with you that uh, meditation is uh, a great thing. Where where do people start? People who are listening to this who like who aren't doing anything or haven't done anything. What what's a good place for people to start with that? Um, well, you know, I mean, I, I I I have my own meditation class. Take back your mind. But um, honestly, the best place to start is a, is a little tiny book called Meditation in a New York Minute. Um, and so people that don't want to give like a major financial investment of a course mm -hmm. or maybe they can't get out to a center where they practice meditation or maybe they're they're you know, they don't want to get involved in Buddhism, like at their local Shambhala center and, and all this kind of stuff. Meditation in a New York minute is 
one of the highest return on investment reads you'll ever get as far as um, meditation. But ultimately, sit down someplace stable and comfortable. Keep your back straight. Focus on your breath. Your mind is going to water not even a second or two after that. Just without being judgmental to yourself, return it to the breath. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Every time you think, I suck at this because I keep getting distracted, remind yourself that meditation is the act of disengaging from distraction. That's what meditation is. You cannot be bad at it. No one is bad at it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so that's that's the big thing. And people people have fought me more than anything else uh, about meditation. Like people taking my course, people uh, fight me on the idea that they should meditate. And they'll point out that you know people will very angrily approach me and be like, you know. Meditation isn't necessary for magic. There's plenty of people that do magic without meditating. And I say, I absolutely agree. There, there are plenty of people that do magic. There's no one element that's necessary for magic. There are people that do magic without spirits. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that they're not infinitely helpful <laughs> and, and a major part of it. Um, nor so nor does it mean that uh, everybody can do it that way. Right, right. Because the more someone is an exception, the more that they might in that particular way be exceptional. Yes. It, which is always important to be mindful of. So when it comes to meditation, I always say, yes, that's true. You can do it without magic. But meditation will give you more control over your mind. And as far as the magic goes, it will solve a hundred problems that you would otherwise need a hundred different solutions for. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, but it's everything magical people hate. Magical people want to stand up and, and dance and wave wands. Meditation says, sit down, don't move, you know, be still. Yeah. Um, meditation, you know, we want to uh, have all these visions and inner experiences and, and, and get spirits show up and talk to us and whatnot. Meditation says, if God himself shows up in front of you in your meditation, you should tell him to go away until you're done because the point of the meditation is to know your own mind. Um, so it, it is, it's training mm -hmm. and the training part is never fun. You know, it's going to the gym. Um, it, it's 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 hard work, and it be, it does become fun. It becomes its own reward after certain breakthroughs are had. But um, you know, it, it is for ninety five percent of the public. It's it's a, a, a huge benefit if they do it. I, I, I think, think there are a certain amount of people that, that have bad reactions to meditation uh, that might trigger anxiety and things like that. And sometimes that gets um, swept under the rug by meditation teachers that don't ever want to talk about that. But mm -hmm. it does happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is worth keeping in mind. Like, 
Yeah, and I think if people are like, oh, meditation is hard and I'm not good at it, my answer is you are good at it. Just sit down and keep going. If people are like, you know, uh, I started to feel my sense of self dissipate and it freaked me out and now I'm having panic attacks, my advice is don't meditate anymore. <laughs> Find exactly, something else. Exactly. Or, or do it under the, the supervision of someone that is there physically and has a background in, in you know, treating uh, that kind of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, uh, awesome. You know, and then, yeah. And, and there are bad meditation teachers in the secular world and there are bad meditation teachers in the traditional um, sense as well. So uh, there are some people that say, oh, you know, it should never be taught outside of... I don't know, Buddhism, Hinduism or whatever, because sure. uh, you have the possibility of these bad teachers. But there are plenty of shitty teachers everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, those traditions, too. Totally. Awesome. Well, so if you're looking for meditation, check out Jason's course. If you're in Toronto and you're looking for meditation, I'm going to start teaching stuff in person at the store starting this fall which will also be a lot of fun. So, and um, yeah. So speaking of, of your courses and stuff, where do people find you, Jason? Well, um, very shortly, you'll find me at strategic sorcery.net. I'm my new website is about ready to go up and it will have pro, you know, it'll be a proper website with links to all my courses that you can buy then online and, and all that. Um, and otherwise, just Google Strategic Sorcery. You'll find my blog uh, and, and whatever I'm offering latest will be up on the blog as well as some posts. You can find my books wherever books are sold. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm up at Barnes and & Noble and, and whatnot. So uh, Amazon, you can find me on there. You awesome. Know. But strategicsorcery.net, that's... Uh, That'll be live within the week. Beautiful. So if you're catching this right away, set a reminder and go back in a week in a week and a half and check it out. <laughs> External mind. It's the only way to go for me anyway. Uh, thank you so much for making the time to have the conversation with me today, Jason. Oh, it's my pleasure. It was great fun. So once again, thank you for listening. Thank you all for your ongoing support. Uh, please do me a favor and let me know that everything went well with this edition. I am using a new hosting service and uh, a new way of delivering it. And I'd love to hear back from a bunch of people that everything went well, or if there are any issues at all, um, what they were and, and where you were getting this file from. And secondly, it would be super great if you enjoyed this and you like what's going on. If you could share it somewhere, send it to a friend, you know, speak about it on Facebook or one of those kinds of things. I really enjoy this and I feel like there's a lot to offer here and everybody tells me how great it is. So if you're one of those people, do me a favor and help spread the word because that level of engagement and excitement keeps me fired up and helps me keep talk to you soon. We'll be back in about a week with an interview with Joanna Powell Colbert. Have a great time. Bye-bye.